Hello, everyone. Greetings. This is Hitendra Wadva, and you are viewing Intersections. Welcome back. You know, at Intersections, our aspiration is to create that moment, that opportunity in the middle of our week where we can have our lives, our thoughts, our spirit come together to explore some of these uh, questions, these aspirations, these hungers that we have about how to really advance to our full potential as individuals, as organizations, communities, and as the planet. And I also like to call it intersections because our aspiration here is to dissolve boundaries and to allow us to be open to fusing at times what seems in the world to be, to be opposites. Today, that kind of fusion will come from studying the interface between business and life. Let me introduce to, to you all a guest that I'm very excited about bringing to our show today, Kate Shaw. One thing that I really like to do at Intersections is to allow us to both think and talk about things in life, but also about how we can apply these ideas about human potential in the world of work, in the world of business. So um, Kate is the Director of Learning at Airbnb. And uh, in addition to Airbnb, she's had a storied career in the field of human capital, going back to her time at Lucasfilms, where she has um, in the past been the head of creative services. Lucasfilms, as many of you might know, is a big brand in the world of media and film, owning the franchises, for example, of the Star Wars series and the Indiana Jones series. At Lucasfilms, among other things, she had the distinct uh, opportunity to actually interview some of the big names in the field of film and performing arts. Then she went on from there to Apple. And at Apple, Kate was the head of coaching and development. She was really at the intersection of the university part of Apple, where they're training people into their culture and HR as a talent director. Then more recently, she moved from there to Airbnb. Airbnb, as many of you know, is a powerful force in uh, disrupting, in many ways, the travel industry by bringing a whole different sort of vision and model to it, which um, today, of course, is facing its own form of challenge and disruption in the age of the pandemic. And so there is so much for us to study and learn and explore with Kate, with great joy and pleasure. Let me at this moment welcome into our midst, yeah, Kate Shaw. Kate, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to, to be here. And I'm so thrilled to see so many people from all over the world joining us. This is great. I'm, I'm really excited for the conversation. Well, it's very much in the spirit of uh, the kind of world that Airbnb has uh, started to help us create, isn't it? Let's hope. Yeah, this is, this is fantastic. So, uh, Kate, let's start uh, from early in your career. We're going to come back and, of course, talk a lot about your time more recently at Airbnb. But uh, what got you interested in the first place? in wanting to pursue a career in the kind of fields that you have around talent and learning and development? You know, I, I think that um, so many of us find that careers are oftentimes accidental. And I would say that mine was somewhat accidental, if I'm 100% honest. I, as a younger person going into school, I thought I was going to travel the world. I thought I was going to be a diplomat, possibly go into jurisprudence as an academic. There was all sorts of ways in which I, I wanted to think about contributing the world to the world. And as luck would have it, I found myself for a spell after living abroad for a while, living in San Francisco and, and being surrounded by, frankly, a lot of friends who were artists and designers and filmmakers and, and suddenly wondering if these are the people who are in my community, why am I going to go and spend a bunch of time with people who are not, generally speaking, in my community? And 
ended up falling into a role through some through a referral through some friends to an administrative job at Lucasfilm. Uh, so I parted ways with my academic path and pursued a career in entertainment. I had grown up as a really big Star Wars nerd. And when I learned that Lucasfilm was in my own backyard and that I could actually contribute to the next wave of Star Wars films in some way, I was over the moon and, and then didn't look back. I was there for about 15 years total. Wow. You know, there are certain moments in our life history that just stick with us, even though they might go back decades. And uh, my first exposure to the Star Wars franchise is one of those moments for me. Uh, I was you know, growing up in India and somebody who we had known who was from America was kind enough to send to me and my sisters this little kind of gift package which arrived at our home one day which we opened with a lot of excitement because at that time there wasn't a lot of commerce happening between India and other mm -hmm. countries. India was a little bit more of a restricted economy. And so anything coming from abroad was like like this magical like you know kind of opportunity for us to engage with, with the world, and it was a um, a couple of these you know these magnetic tapes that preceded like you know CDs. <laughs> that, uh, so yeah, it was a couple of those tapes, and they were just about like Star Wars, you know, uh, the first the first film that ever came out. And so it took a long time for us to ever get to the point where we actually watched the film because at that time film, films were not released globally, you know, at around the same time. But um, through that tape, we were hearing the sights and sounds of the film. And that has just like stayed embedded in my mind because uh, it was just like transporting us into this fascinating world, especially as a young child, you can imagine. So yeah, that's, that's powerful. So uh, what got you then to move from there to, to Apple? Yeah, I was, I was there for quite some time. I um, oversaw technical and artistic education at first at Industrial Light and Magic and then also at our um, animation studio as we set up a studio in Singapore uh, and got into animated television. The role expanded over time. I had just the most amazing journey at Lucasfilm. And, and, uh, and it was really a family. I mean, it, there were ways in which um, George Lucas had set up sort of a, an, alternate, an alternative to Hollywood, if you will, in Northern California. And there were ways in which it was somewhat insular and protected from the rest of the film industry. And then lo and behold, one day he decided to sell the organization to Disney, invited Kathy Kennedy in to lead it, and um, which was an incredibly exciting development in the company's history for, for George to move on for the, for the company and the, and the brand to land in the hands of another organization. But I also sort of took it as a sign that this, you know, maybe this is a good time to move on. I'd been there for a long time. I knew the company was going to change a lot. And, and I was interested in seeing other things. And so with that, I made the decision to, to move on and uh, ended up landing at Apple, um, working with Joe Padolny, who, who's the dean of Apple University. And, and didn't look back. It was an amazing move. Apple is um, obviously a very storied name in the world of business, uh, you know, with the inextricable link to its founder, you know, who was a visionary in business. Uh, now, um, how has the culture at Apple, there are two, two questions that I have for you there. How has the culture at Apple, you know, scaled from, from this one individual to something which is today like a, a huge enterprise? In, I mean, is it actually, you know, sustaining itself even, even beyond them? There were all these uh, folks who were prognosticating Apple's ultimate demise after their visionary founder was no more. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, it's grown from strength to strength. 
So can, can you talk a little bit about sort of that culture? Yeah. So, you know, Joel was really tasked with helping evolve Apple's culture. That was exactly why Steve Jobs had reached out to him and asked him to uh, take on um, and create Apple University was to not continue, not to ask people to continue to ask the question, what would Steve do, but what would Apple do? What is so ingrained in this company that everyone who joins this company really needs to know it so that they understand what makes Apple, Apple. And so that was really Joel's job and continues to be Joel's job as, as, as I understand it, which is to deeply study Apple and, and what makes Apple, Apple, and then reflect that back to the organization in a way that people can continue to, what, to wrestle with what's amazing at Apple and continue to address the challenges that Apple faces. So it was an extraordinary opportunity. Joel's brilliant and he's assembled a really extraordinary faculty to tackle exactly that. I can't say too much about it because it's Apple, <laughs> um, but it was an incredible place to, to, to learn what it means to deeply understand one's own culture, right? To, to better understand the water that you're swimming in, to identify what makes something uniquely that thing and then figure out how to hold the tension of holding onto the things that serve you and then letting go of the things that maybe don't. So it was, it was a masterclass in understanding what it really means to understand a company's culture and, and contribute to it. I found that really powerful when you said that Steve uh, asked him to come so that uh, we could create a culture where people were not asking anymore, like, what would Steve do? But, mm -hmm. you know, what would, what would Apple do? It reminds me of a quote that I once heard from him where he said, when I hire somebody really senior at Apple, of course, they need to be competent. But what I'm really looking for is, will they fall in love with Apple? Because if they're in love with Apple, then they'll do what's right for Apple, not what's right for me or for them or uh, anybody else. Yeah. And I remember hearing Tim Cook speak one day and he, and he talked about exactly that, that he joins companies to fall in love with them. You know, and Tim Cook's been, been there for a long time now. He absolutely loves that company. And I think it shows in the way that he leads it. Yeah. You know, we'll come to Airbnb very soon, but now you've been part of these two, you know, storied cultures mm -hmm. by the time that you're, you know, uh, at Apple for a few years. Um, how, did, how did these experiences shape you? What did you learn about human nature, scaling, you know, values and organizations, helping embed certain skills and qualities in people at, you know, at, at that scale? Uh, what are some of the things that you've learned from these first couple of chapters of your professional life? Yeah, it's a it's a really great question. I think I think that there were ways in which those companies were very different, but also ways in which they were very similar. And when I when I look back upon the two of them, they were both started by founders who were frankly trying to do something totally different, right? George Lucas was attempting to step uh, you know, to create a studio well outside of the the established film industry so he could go and do make ind essentially independent films at the time. It's hard to think of Star Wars sometimes for some of us as independent filmmaking, but you talk to independent filmmakers who know their film history and, and that's exactly how they see him. Steve Jobs similarly was looking to really disrupt an industry and change the way that we think about um, computing. And, and those mindsets were both very much instilled into the cultures that they created. You know, they were very much rebel cultures. They were, they were places that uh, were born out of thinking differently. Um, and they also sat at the intersection, both of them, of art and technology, where there was always a tension between what is great design and what is great technology in a way that you don't always see in other tech companies. 
And I really appreciated that because I, because I feel like as, as someone who has a strong orientation to design, but also has a strong need for technology in her life, like so many of us do, I appreciated the fact that there was always that tension in place in both of them. The tele technology at Lucasfilm was used for the purposes of storytelling and technology at Apple was leveraged to create experiences for people to connect with one another and create things. And so, and I would say the third thing is that they were both incredibly exacting cultures. They required a tremendous amount of functional and technical expertise. And they both also were just incredibly detail oriented. And that I think instilled in me a real appreciation for what quality really means, which honestly, in some respects became a challenge when I joined Airbnb, which was moving really quickly and was a startup. And, and you know, I started calling myself a recovering perfectionist when I got there. But, but those companies did instill in me a, a very clear focus on craft, a focus on quality that, that I still think serves me today. Wow, that's beautiful. It's a valuable ethic. And yet, uh, to your point, sometimes one has to use a good judgment to figure out where one actually puts things more in balance and takes more of a expeditious approach to just getting something in the market and what have you, mm -hmm. isn't it? Yes, um, absolutely. I like to, yeah, I like to sometimes think that, um, you know, leadership or, or good, you know, good professional sort of, you know, practices require us to fuse opposites, to be able to be both something and, and the complete opposite, <laughs> you know, and I think this transition that you said you had to go in from, from the Apple and Lucasfilms world to the Airbnb world and being this recovering perfectionist seems to suggest that. But on the other hand, I'm sure that uh, there is an element of perfectionism in Airbnb's, you know, own aspirations and culture, well, isn't it? I mean, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that when we talk about how it's been doing in today's time. But um, well, and this was what really, this is, you know, how you and you and I met, right, was, was when I heard you speak on this topic and was really drawn to it and it really resonated with me is that, is that you know, I think what, what moving from Apple to Airbnb enabled me to do was, was go from a culture that was really well entrenched and had been around for a little while and had very senior executives who were very um, uh, stored in their own craft to a very fast moving young organization that was going to be very, very different that... I knew it was going to challenge me in a whole different way. But to your point, one really has to adapt in order to make a move like that. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. it's that adaptation that's really the, the rub of it. Yeah. Well, let's, let's move in to talk more about an Airbnb next. And uh, uh, so let's talk about sort of where uh, Airbnb is in today. Um, I have, among I'm sure many of our listeners here, been you know deeply benefited by this uh, you know this major new sort of like force that Airbnb has created in the travel industry and allowing us just so much access mm -hmm. to so much possibilities you know of travel and you know meaningful engagements with the communities worldwide and um, yet at the present moment while on the one hand being this darling you know of the you know of the startup world you know the last several years being a unicorn that was sort of just mm -hmm. rising to a really great place. We now have this, uh, you know, this perfect storm, you know, that has come and that is uh, consuming the travel industry. So, um, you know, how is Airbnb doing? Yeah, thanks for asking. I mean, I think this time has been just so challenging for so many of us worldwide. There's no escaping the fact that for any of us that we're living in the middle of a global pandemic. I think for Airbnb, we were at the tip of the spear in many respects because one of the very first things to happen was that that global travel just simply came to a screeching halt. 
And there's no question that it had ramifications on the travel industry that were frankly completely unprecedented. And you know, if there's one thing that Airbnb has excelled at over the years, it's navigating a, a crisis. Our, our founders have um, withstood a lot of challenges, I would say, in, in standing up an organization like this one. Um, but certainly there was nothing that they had faced that was anything like this. So what they essentially had to take upon take on was was figuring out how we were going to survive, um, how we were going to get through a really difficult storm and emerge on the other side. And that's exactly what they set about to do, both through fundraising to see us to give us some extra cash to weather a really difficult storm. We unfortunately had to um, lay off a, a good amount of our company, which was an incredibly difficult thing to do and, and really heartbreaking. And then lastly, we really had to simplify our business back to focus on helping people stay in one another's homes again, which we're seeing some rebound in now that things are beginning to open up in some parts of the world. And then changing our what was a new business experiences in in-person hosted experiences to online experiences, which people gravitated to really very quickly. And all of that was born out of our online, our experienced hosts wanting to still find an outlet for what it was they were offering the world. And, and we've seen a lot of success there. So while we've certainly had to, to scale back on our aspirations and things have absolutely changed, uh, the company did make a very sharp and decisive pivot, uh, which I think will hopefully help set us up for longer term success. I was struck with how quickly Airbnb moved to actually do some of this, uh, you know, adaptation and restructuring for today's time. Uh, I think there were a lot of people at the time that Airbnb was making these moves that were probably still wistfully thinking that this is just a bad dream that they're living through, oh, yeah. and it's going to actually wrap up very quickly. And somebody's going to find a cure for coronavirus. Look how much money the pharma companies are spending, etc. Right? There was that period where those were the kind of conversations that were happening, you know, in Zoom rooms and uh, dinner tables. Absolutely, and, uh, isn't it? And now I think the world is getting more and more just uh, ready to accept that there's. Uh, it's not clear when we will move into the post-pandemic age. Absolutely, I mean, and they and they did have to project quite far out to just try and decide what are really the worst-case scenarios here. If we if we imagine this is going to go on for quite some time, then then we're really going to have to control our our expenses and figure out how we pivot our business model to adapt. It's it's uh, anyone's guess how the, how long this is really going to last. Yeah. So when we had uh, Raghu Krishnamurthy, who used mm -hmm. to be the CHRO of GE. Uh, a few weeks back here, one of the conversations that we deep dived into is how in moments like this, in moments of crisis, you know, leadership has to, on the one hand, both, uh, you know, offer a really sort of a clear, firm, decisive form of leadership, you know, in order to be able to make the hard calls, make the hard decisions, because there is going to be a need, you know, to, you know, really think about how to, you know, survive and then ultimately in the long run thrive. And, and that will require, you know, at times a preservation of resources or, you know, certain certain just kind of like trade-offs that have to be made from time. But on the other hand, you know, people are also looking for understanding, reassurance, a sense of connection, uh, you know, empathetic, you know, kind of like person on the other side who's making the hard calls. And um, one thing I noticed in this uh, move that Airbnb had to painfully so go through mm -hmm. with uh, some amount of uh, restructuring and lay laying off, you know, certain people that, um, you know, it, it made the headlines in, in a very positive way at that time because of certain ways in which it actually approached that, that, that painful step. 
And around the same time, there were, understandably so, certain other organizations that were facing the same issue and that actually made some very public missteps uh, in a way that uh, brought them, you know, a fair amount of grief, you know, from the recipients of that action on the other side, those people yeah. who got it off or then the media coverage, you know, that, that resulted from it. And so, you know, if I kind of just want to kind of just use this moment to have us learn from, from Airbnb as to when in life we are facing these kind of tough forks in the road and we have to walk down a path that is just, uh, I mean, none of the options are looking pretty. And we yeah. have to take a path where certain hard calls have to be made. How can we make sure we do that with yeah. compassion all that? Can you talk a little bit about what Airbnb did and what, you know, what we can learn from it? Yeah, and, and I think, honestly, I'm still learning from it, having you know been a part of it and reflecting on it, um, I'm grateful to be in conversations like this one because it allows me to really still process you know what what went on. Um, I think that there were a few. Thank you for sharing all that, and and I and I have to say that was very much my experience of it. I think that there's a few key ingredients that are in the mix here. Is oftentimes organizations really show their stripes in moments of crisis, right? It's it's where leadership emerges. Uh, in, in, in an amplified way, I would say. And if there is one thing about our CEO that, that I've ab absolutely come to appreciate over the last several years working at Airbnb is he has a, just a tremendous amount of heart. And that showed itself uh, loudly and clearly throughout this whole process. I would say that, you know, leading up to layoffs, there was a, a lot, there was a, a constant drumbeat of communications. He had a weekly uh, CEO Q&A where he started to sort of lay out, this is what's going on in the organization. This is the reality of the industry. Not pulling any punches really in terms of sharing the data about this is what's going on and this is how hard this crisis is really going to be. And at the same time, providing assurance that I am here to help make sure that this company survives and weathers the storm, and I'm confident we'll do so. But I have to tell you now that no options are off the table, right? So he was very, very transparent from the very outset um, so that people could really understand how grave the circumstances were. At the time of the layoffs, you know, it was incredibly important to him and, and for all of us who were involved in, in implementing them that they'd be done with as much compassion as possible. Um, and I, I think the overriding sentiment was, with layoffs of that scale, you are watching incredibly talented people walk out the door. These were really, really difficult decisions. And, and so we made a series of steps to ensure that, these, uh, th that it went as, as well as possible. One was to be as generous as we possibly could, given the circumstances with the, with the packages that we offered people who were leaving. Another was ensuring that absolutely every single person sat down in conversation with the leader to, to let them know that, they, that their job was going away. Um, we did absolutely no group notifications. Every single person was given a face-to-face -face conversation. We prepared all of those leaders for those conversations by pulling them into sessions where we really modeled for them what a good conversation in those circumstances might look like and asked them to lead with tremendous compassion in those conversations. I think, I think one of the risks so oftentimes is that, is that you know, we know that there are certain things that legally one has to say in those conversations, but if you lead with that, the way that you impact someone gets gets really truly lost. And and the impression we want, really wanted to help people walk away with was that people will not remember what they said. They will remember how you made them feel in that moment. And the most important thing was to show up with as much heart and compassion uh, as possible. And, and to use our own language to be a, a, a charitable host to someone in really difficult circumstances.
And then there was also, I would say, a way in which just the community of Airbnb rose to this occasion in ways that I never, ever could have expected, but I found incredibly inspiring, which was that the day that that Brian announced that we were going to have layoffs, we found ourselves in a group company call where, where some engineers had actually stood up the ability to not only see Brian and his webcast, but but also to see people taking seats in the room and respond with emojis and and you know words that, that sort of billow up through the screen and and the day that he announced layoffs the screen just filled with hearts and tears that was the emotion that was revealed in that c- communication from people within Airbnb and and we didn't ask those and he told them that, that day that layoffs were unfortunately going to happen they were going to re- take on, they were going to start that afternoon and that people would be sitting down for conversations with people to let them know that they uh, were impacted if in fact they were the other piece that i think was really important was that we started those notifications on a tuesday and asked people to stay through the following monday oftentimes when you see a layoff people's you know privileges are immediately revoked and they're walked out the door with a box. And we knew we were going to be laying people off in extraordinary circumstances in the middle of a pandemic that people, these are, were good people who'd done incredible work, who deserved a chair, who deserved a, a generous farewell. And it also gave us the time to pivot our recruiters to help support them as they exited. So we stood up a whole page at airbnb.com talent and invited anyone who cared to, to make their resume available there for others to come and find them um, and attached recruiters to all of those people so that they could actually help them um, find a new opportunity somewhere else. So just the amount of care and love and generosity that was shown within the company for one another as people went through that transition was nothing short of extraordinary. And the level to which our CEO made himself, made himself available to help usher people through that process. Again, extraordinary. You know, before people left and after they'd been notified, he had another CEO Q&A to, to say his goodbyes and his thank yous and, and to communicate how much he'd meant, they'd meant to him. And, and when you see your CEO on a screen in tears, you know it's real. And he didn't try to hide it. And I really appreciate that about him. I don't doubt it's one of the hardest things he'll ever have to do. But but if there's a, I, I realize I'm going on, but I think that there's there's a story here to be told around how compassionate one can be and, and what the results look like when you do it well. I, I am still blown away by what I saw. Wow, thank you for sharing that, Kate. Um, it is such an inspiring lesson in um, making the hard calls in business the right way. And uh, I'm moved um, and uh, also inspired to kind of work with you a little bit towards, uh, <clears throat> you know, really reinforcing some of the lessons from the story for uh, for myself and for our audience. So I'm just going to like offer up a couple of perspectives on what I just yeah. heard from you and tell me these, these make sense in the way you think about sort of what's happening here. So the first lesson that I'm learning from here is that... Um, the leader here, you know, Brian, in this case, the founder, and I'm guessing it is reflected then through, you know, the ranks as well, you know, has to come into a moment like this already, perhaps with a certain base of trust, a certain sort of um, set of experiences that people have experienced with this leader that already make them recognize that, you know, this leader has heart, this leader does care. This leader is making some harsh decisions, which might actually put me on the wrong side of like the, you know, outcome. But 
I can trust based on everything I've seen with this leader in the last several years that it must be coming from a good place. So I'm guessing that behind um, you know this particular moment, there must have been some lived history and experiences and stories about how the culture has worked and how he has behaved perhaps in the past that brought people to that point where they started to use those emojis of hearts and tears and all that. Is, mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that's I think that's absolutely true. I mean. It, I think every CEO has so many tensions to manage to to the point of the lessons that you share with the rest of us. And and there is no questions that Brian has absolutely been a very hard driving leader at times. You know, you don't you don't create a company of this size of this magnitude over such short a period of time without having just incredible dogged determination and tr extraordinary vision. I think that to the point of the tensions that one manages at that moment, he absolutely knew this was about heart, this was about humans, that this was about, you know, honoring what Airbnb is really all about, which is really trying to build more humanity into the world of travel. He knew that um, this was the moment to build humanity into a process that normally isn't very human, frankly. And so I just was really impressed with how he showed up in those moments. Uh, he pivoted into, and it's not that he hasn't shown these parts of himself before, he absolutely has. I think he really believes in the mission of the company and what Belong Anywhere is really meant to be about. But boy, his his uh, ability to turn his attention to belonging at Airbnb was really profound. It's beautiful. Now you take that as a starting point. The next piece I'm hearing from you is to recognize that in moments like this, where one is actually needing to clearly inflict some amount of, if you want to call it material pain, you know, mm -hmm. on, on certain people. You know, certain things that are not just not going to happen anymore. You know, you're you're not going to be employed here anymore. You know, so that doesn't mean that one has to withdraw one's heart. That That's one right. has to pull back from compassion. And you talk, you know, about the legal terms that have to be communicated and all of that. But there's no reason why, again, the heart and the compassion cannot be there, right? So that's the second lesson I'm learning from this, which is. Um, to, uh, you know, it is possible. It is possible to do both of those things at the same time and to walk into the situation with that aspiration. And, you know, I mean, here's a thought that comes to my mind is um, that what we have to recognize is that people are not merely optimizers and maximizers of some material outcome. They're also seeking to maximize, if you want to call it the spiritual, the emotional, the psychological aspect of their experience at work or in a relationship or in a chapter of their lives. Yes. Right. And if I cannot, if I cannot have boundless material resources at a time when my company is dramatically shrinking in its business with a pandemic around me, I still have boundless access to the spiritual, the emotional, the psychological, and maybe that's a currency in which I can continue to honor and nurture the human spirit. And what I noticed in this case, for instance, in some of the, for example, posts that uh, Brian was putting out there in social media. Uh, some of the quotes I've seen, uh, the points that you were making here, is that he was really honoring these people who were leaving the organization. He was helping them feel good about themselves rather than feel like this was a failure for me. He was reminding them that they had done some incredible work that will always live on, you know, as they walk into the future as a very treasured part of like what they contributed, you know, to the advancement of humanity. And so that to me, that reaffirmation to say, yes, we are giving you the severance letter and all that, but actually you're an incredible person. You've done incredible work here. We're going to broadcast how proud we are of all of you and encourage other great organizations to hire you if they can. I mean, anyway, so that aspect of yeah. just nurturing and reaffirming the human spirit and inviting them to go on a hero's journey. 
and and to and to enable them to walk out the door with tremendous pride. I mean, yes. I I was I was on a call in the in the days between the days that people were notified and, and the day that people left. I was on a call with a group of people who were processing this news, you know, in sort of a group scenario. And one woman shared that she'd been laid off from a previous employer, and the loss of pride that she experienced back then was still haunting her because of the ways in which she'd been told that she was losing her job. You know, these aren't losses of jobs. These are losses of identities. These are losses of community. These are losses of contribution that people experience. And if you can honor, to your point, the impact that they've had and and the talents that they still hold and the gifts that they're going to bring to the world, then you enable them to walk out the door in a way that really keeps them whole as much as possible in horrible circumstances. It allows them to walk out feeling whole as opposed to, you know, deeply hurt. So just to kind of close out this this really powerful moment uh, that is providing so many lessons and inspiration to us. We've spoken about the leader just leading from the heart, just as part of who they are, having that genuineness, which then translates in a moment of crisis into something very real, which is the aspiration to make the hard calls, but still do them with a lot of that compassion, that heart in there. And then the last part of what I noticed in uh, this this, this uh, story is to recognize that even if you're letting somebody go, it doesn't mean that you can't do something within whatever limited means you have to offer them support, offer them practical support, not just you know, not just good heart, but also practical support. In this case, you talked about this creative exercise that Airbnb went through of basically corralling their recruiters to actually for a while really be there in support of the you know transition, you know, for for these folks who were you know being asked to leave. Yes. Yeah, and we and we stood up whole systems within the company, you know, through Slack to say, and and which of which I'm still a part that allows people to help people find jobs. So we I'm still seeing Slacks from recruiters saying, "Hey, I've got a person looking for a, com a job at this company. Does anyone have contacts there?" So there's still active, uh, ongoing effort to help people find new places to land. Yeah, wonderful. So let's move on from from this, you know, that powerful moments to where things are today. How is the organization doing? Now that, you know, the world is starting to gingerly open up a little bit. Yeah. You know, I'd say it's, it's, uh, there's so many factors going on. We, we still have uh, some employees in Europe going through a cons consultation process where they still don't have clarity around the future of their work and whether they will still be with the company or not. We have pivoted our business. We've drastically simplified it, reorganized it to uh, really drive forward the priorities we have in front of us. And then more recently, frankly, in the United States and now globally, we've been experiencing tremendous, you know, just I, it's, I don't even know what word to use for it, but tremendous pain around the disparities with which Black people in the United States are treated that has really hit a chord globally. And I think we're seeing, a, you know, tremendous amount of outpouring of effort and frustration and, and anger, frankly, about just, you know, a, a challenge that's gone on for quite some time. And for an organization that is all about belonging, that has really um, impacted us. It's it's very much part of the conversation. It's uh, work that we've Try, been working on driving um, within our platform and within our company. There's very, very active conversations around our role in creating belonging in a world where, um, where, frankly, racism and brutality exist. So we've gone from you know suddenly shifting to work at home because of a global pandemic, our our entire industry turning upside down to layoffs to repivoting our business to now finding ourselves in the middle of, of a pretty extraordinary time and a painful time. Um, so I would say. 
on the one hand, we are as laser focused on on uh, the world of creating a world where people belong anywhere as we ever were. You know, our, our CEO uh, Brian said recently said, "I I would hope that people in this company know and understand belonging even though more than they understand travel." Which again, sort of just raises the bar on our commitment and our and our focus there in a way that I find really inspiring. It's been tight. It's been exhausting. This time's been exhausting. And and but I but if there's uh, and, and I would not for a moment suggest that we're getting all this right all the time. We have our own very important conversations going on inside our company about whether we're living up to our own standard. Uh, but it's, uh, it's, been a, it's been a challenging time. Well, thank you for bringing up the um, most latest you know, episode in the um, continued sort of state of unrest that we face as a global society today, which is the issue of race that has... Uh, been triggered in the United States and uh, yet has taken on so much more of a global complexion now. You know, and, and then you link that to Airbnb's own mission. Can you articulate that mission, you know, for us for, for, for a second? Yeah, of course. You know, I think I think for, you know, for sometimes sometimes when you're outside of a company, sometimes a mission can just kind of sound like Kool-Aid or buzzwords. And 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 I can appreciate why some some listeners might wonder about that or, or have that question in their mind. But the the company is built on this idea that we're here to help foster a world where anyone can belong anywhere. And, you know, the idea behind that is, you know, oftentimes we go traveling around the world and we find ourselves in these places that are sort of sterile, where we're really not part of the community, where we're sort of held at a distance from the life that's really going on there. And Airbnb's aspiration is to enable people to open their homes to other people, to really build human connections in the world where, and, and offline, when so much of our world is online, how do we create connections that are real world and offline where people are connecting with total strangers and becoming friends and gaining true understanding and appreciation for people who are very different from them. So if that's our mission to belong anywhere, then the question became, well, if we're going to do that, we better do that inside. So then the question became, how do we create belonging here? And so we've decided to go after that in earnest. We've been we've been become students of belonging. We've we've uh, we've started measuring belonging within our company. We have ongoing research around belonging and what it really means and how you create it. Uh, and we've really tried to build our entire employee experience around the notion of belonging, so that we're able to deliver on the outside what we what we've essentially what we aspire to do, aspire to deliver. There's a, there's a talk that you gave with uh, your colleague, Andrea Robb, um, mm -hmm. on, uh, it, it probably must have been midstream in your, in your kind of like research and practice around, around fostering a culture of belonging. And, uh, you know, it, it is such an important topic at a time like this. I think another thing that you and I, you know, really resonated on in our, in our conversations, and I know, of, you know, you and Paul as well, one of my colleagues here at Mentora, is, um, you know, in a well-intentioned way, as uh, corporations have sought to advance the cause of diversity and inclusion, that the approach that has been taken is not necessarily the most effective. Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't really, at times, really stir the spirit and move the hearts and get people authentically invested and, you know, all of that, right? And, uh, and the approach of moving away from kind of like that more traditional, imposed, like this is a box each of you will have to check off because it's, you know, it's a policy, we all have to do X, Y, Z, more to an invitation to something more inspirational, mm -hmm. something that, you know, invites all of us to live up to a fullest potential what have you belonging sounds a little bit more closer to that i i wanted to highlight that talk because that's yeah. a video that uh you know our community here can just watch on their own when they like one of the things i really liked in that video is that after presenting your thesis 
about the power and importance of belonging as like part of what like you know a culture should be about at work mm -hmm. you end up sort of like crowdsourcing a little bit some ideas yeah. uh, that you ask the audience to give you as to what belonging meant to them and what they might suggest to an organization to build more belonging mm -hmm. and i was so touched by all of those people that ended up sort of you know going to the microphone and offering their ideas i was touched certainly by the you know richness of the ideas themselves but actually just by watching them listening to them i just felt like you had sparked something in that room mm. that each of these individuals really felt so inspired by this idea that you know that's the kind of workplace i want to be a part of and mm. they really want to be co-architects of it so kudos first of all for doing that and i think it's a lesson in in co-creation and crowdsourcing that my audience will enjoy like when we get a chance to have them watch it but uh coming back to then what work you've been doing at airbnb on this front how has the journey gone what are one or two examples that we can take into our workplace that you have found to be you know re really really helpful to mm. foster sense of belonging for people well i think the the first thing is to really understanding is to really understand what belonging actually means i i think i've heard, you know i've heard some people describe well, what is it it feels a little bit ineffable and and the reality is if you if you can't define it then you can't really pursue it and what we've done um within the company is we've we've defined belonging as being seen the the, the emotional experience of feeling seen and valued and able to meaningfully contribute and this is where belonging in my mind goes beyond inclusion inclusion means that you're sitting at the table right to use sort of an overused phrase belonging means actually contributing being able to see your impact and and when we talk when we given that we know that diverse organizations perform better you know so many companies stop short of of just you know getting talent in the door and then not really unlocking the system in a way that allows people to meaningfully contribute inclusion's simply not enough right and in my mind belonging is so inextricably linked with the notion of psychological safety the 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 knowledge that that i am seen and valued and i'm able to meaningfully contribute my point of view my strengths my um aspirations that that's where you really start to tap into the potential that humans have to offer so what it means is that practically speaking for us belonging is not something we shove to the side belonging is a thread through absolutely every learning experience that we offer and and to your point of of you know crowdsourcing we don't necessarily want to pretend that we're expert in this all the time right like often while we've studied this deeply our expectation is that we we want to learn with our learners because we know what it feels like to feel like we belong or or we and we know when we don't and so to bring that emotional experience into the room and allow people to unpack that allow them to understand this was my experience and this is how i can enable this experience for others is really the thing that as an organization i think we're trying really hard to learn and and to the point of the talk that you mentioned earlier you know i think i think that oftentimes people sort of get caught up in this notion of unconscious bias which is important right it's important to understand that our brains don't necessarily always serve us so well the struggle i have with that is that when we stop there in fact one of my one of my colleagues at airbnb melissa thomas hunt was part of the research that demonstrated that she's extraordinary by the way i'm so lucky to work with her she's was one of the researchers that demonstrated that when you introduce unconscious bias training sometimes the outcomes are actually worse 
right? You give permission, you normalize the fact that our brains don't work very well sometimes, that they make snap judgments about people and people sometimes walk out the door actually discriminating more, not less. So if I, if I lead with the mindset or the notion that my job, Hitendra, is to enable you to feel a sense of belonging, right? Then that's, that's a whole other bar for me and for our relationship and for the potential I might help realize in you. That's, I think, very different. Yeah. One of the challenges that uh, you know we've seen in society, I don't know how openly it is being experienced, for example, in everyday interactions at Airbnb, either within the full-time employee group or with your partners, you know, um, who are a very expansive network, is that um, you know when, when, when we think about sort of uh, inviting everybody to feel you know that sense of connection, belonging, respect, and all of that. Painfully so, there is a certain set of positions out there by certain communities and people that are a little bit more exclusionary rather than inclusive. How does one make sure that in really opening the culture up to receiving and welcoming everyone, that one is seeking to invite their best self, not their sort of like, in a sense, the worst instincts, you know, not not a part of them that is more divisive or, you know, judgmental or agitative which could end up disrupting the energy if that part mm -hmm. of them is given an active voice. That's one of the things that I've been really, um, you know, kind of like playing with in uh, yeah. our own work with, uh, you know, our clients on, on, on these themes of creating inclusive cultures. But um, I'm curious if you've, uh, you know, kind of encountered that challenge a little bit where when you open things up, then sometimes, you know, Google has some, had some issues sure. and struggles. And so I'm just curious for your comments. Yeah, I mean, I think there's ways in which Airbnb has an advantage in its mission in the sense that we can say, this is what we're about and we can trumpet that to the world. And, and if that's what you're about, come join us. And if that's not what you're about, no harm, no foul, don't join us, right? So so it's it's a little bit different for us, I would argue insofar as, you know, Google's mission is not necessarily about belonging, right? We've stood decided, our founders decided that this is really what we're about. We're not a travel company, we're a belonging company. And so when you put that strong a stake in the ground, I think that you have the means to draw boundaries, right? So, so there was a, you know, a string of events a few years ago where um, Airbnb while black became a meme, where, where we were discovering that there were hosts that were frankly not allowing guests in their doors because they were black or people who were experiencing not even getting the reservation because they were black. And it caused us to put into effect an anti-discrimination task force to really dig into the problem. We've announced things this week that we're doing to continue to further that work. But we asked our hosts to say, you know, we just put out a, a, an email to our hosts and we said, listen, we're about belonging. And if you're not, just go somewhere else. But if you're going to host, we want you to sign this commitment that this is what you're about, that you will welcome people into your home, regardless of what they look like. And we lost 1.3 million people off the platform when we did that, but it's a decision that we made. And um, and so I think when you put stakes in the ground and you stand by them, then you attract the people that wanna be a part of that. And if you don't attract the people who don't, then great. <laughs> the rub becomes what happens when you do, what happens when you continue to find events like that, then the call to action is you just don't tolerate it. They have other places they can go. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a powerful lesson right there about, um recognizing that not everybody may be, you know, maybe maybe right for this and, and being at peace with that and respecting them for who they are, but also drawing those boundaries. Yes. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, let's uh, wrap up with one final question for you. Can you say a little bit more about sort of how employees can get to feel valued? You know, how, how do you foster that? So 
Yeah, it's it's this is going to sound so basic, but I, I always think that really creating a sense of belonging and a sense of being valued starts with really, really getting to know people. So we we've held a lot of sessions with our managers and put tools in their hands to just sit down and interview you, Hitendra. Like, what do you care about? What are the things that you value most? What do you really hope to accomplish during your time here? How do you really want how do you want to contribute to this mission? What does belonging mean to you? How would I know if you felt a sense of belonging at Airbnb, right? And just sitting down and asking some really deep questions around, you know, how I can help deliver on those things for you, how I can help you discover things you haven't discovered for, but really understanding who you are and what makes you tick and what makes you unique. So many people skip that step and just assume that they're going to kind of learn it through osmosis. And these are, these are things that have to be designed. I do think that being a being seeing feeling a sense of value and seeing and being able to meaningful meaningfully contribute really starts with really truly being seen and we often skip that stuff so i'd always recommend starting there that's a that's really powerful and at the same time very practical you know guidance that you just offered us and i think any or all of us can immediately go and implement that and actually there's a version of that that I'm sensing one can even apply in our personal life. You know, sometimes some of these conversations aren't even had in families. You know, we, we don't really understand the know people at a deep level. There is, I don't know if you're familiar with the research of John Gottman, you know, who is uh, one of the experts on marital relationships and what mm -hmm. they call like the masters of relationships versus the disasters of relationships. And one of the things he talks about, and you know, there's always statistical, there have been a lot of longitudinal studies with relationships over time and what makes them stick and happy versus not. And one of the one of the practices they found really that you know those who thrive in you know, relationships really use is this kind of a deeper dive understanding. And 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 he calls it like building love maps, mm. which is like having like an understanding, you know, like a way to navigate through the inner life of that other individual by over time discovering some of these you know, aspirations, this life purpose, the things that really value, and, you know, things like that, which sometimes yeah. you feel like, I, I must know them because I, I live with them. But actually, unless you go through that process of heartfelt discovery and inquiry and sharing, sometimes it's funny how much of those things just remain unspoken. Absolutely. And, and we don't gather those things by accident. We have to gather those things with a sense of purpose and intention. Otherwise, they just don't come. Life takes over and you're making coffee next to each other, but you're not necessarily understanding what's really going on in someone's heart or their mind. So absolutely, I love that. I love that love map idea. I'm gonna have to look that up. Thanks for yeah. sharing that. Sure, my pleasure. And I mean, Kate, you've certainly you know done more than you do you know here for all of us. I'm so grateful for the time. Thank you so much. And opening yourself up to this conversation, you offered us so much warmth, spirit, and um, real practical advice at a time when I know things must be you know hard, hard for Airbnb, hard for you, and uh, and we, we we are cheering you on. We Thank are looking so forward to seeing, uh, of course, the world come back into a good place, but for Airbnb to continue to adapt its ways in order to uh, continue, yeah, to just uh, live out its mission. One of the things that, you know, I like to talk about is that, you know, the purpose might stay the same, but then the outer expression of that can sometimes just, you know, need, need to be adapted, you know, for whatever conditions the world puts us in. And sometimes it scales up, sometimes down, sometimes pivots in this way, you know, whatever, but the purpose stays the same. That's so right. I'm hearing that kind of a story from you about how Brian and all of you are seeking to navigate through today's times. Yeah, it's what, get you, it's what gets you through. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me.